So Two Evil Eyes podcast, episode three, uh, the current state of uh, horror film. And I want to expand that a little bit because Two Evil Eyes is not just about horror. It also includes sci-fi and fantasy films. Right. So what what's what's with the state on, uh, on genre films, Cameron? What's going on? <laughs> well, if you are talking fantasy, sci-fi, fantasy... It's kind of the biggest genre at the moment with all the comic book movies, you know. But if you look at the horror films of today, they're all VOD. They're all straight to Netflix. Um, there's only a few theatrical uh, horror films that are still being made. Mm-hmm. And those have typically not been very well received. Uh, you get a couple of the found footage films. There's a couple, you know, you get like Insidious Chapter 3 but that's about it. I mean, you know, if a horror film comes out at all, it's never during October. It's now only during August. And if you get the film during October, it's 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 a rarity. But to me, I feel like I I don't want to have to hunt through Netflix and VOD to like maybe find a good film. I, I just to me, there's too many out there. And yes, I could just start watching them and see if they get my opinion uh, or, or attention, but. I just feel like there's, you know, life is short and unless I hear something about it or it looks appealing or it it has a good premise, you know, if it just sounds like another $5 made zombie movie, I'm not going to watch it. I don't care how good the talent is because I'm not going to give it a chance because if the people behind the camera want to just make another or make a film that just sounds like another generic zombie film. I'm not going to give them my time because that's just, you know, make something that sounds appealing. According to this website called The Numbers, and that's hyphenated, the-numbers.com, the uh, top 10 grossing horror films um, of 2015 looks like, there's some 2014 titles in there, maybe, I'm not sure, but uh, are, and I'm not going to go into the actual numbers, I'm just going to run down the top 10 here. Um, Insidious Chapter 3, Poltergeist, of course, the horrible remake, I, I cannot fathom that that's number two. Um, Unfriended, which is a film that you had actually recommended to me, I still haven't gotten around to watching that, that might be an interesting one to, to see, and... Um, and, and talk about it at some point. Lazarus Effect, The Gallows, number five. It Follows, The Woman in Black, part two. The Vatican Tapes, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and The Babadook. I have not yet seen um, Girl Walks Home Home Alone at Night. I've heard good things about it, though. It's definitely on my list. I believe it is on Netflix currently. I'm not sure. I might be wrong. Um, And um, I can honestly wait with Insidious Chapter 3 until it's, you know, uh, on streaming with all due respect to the filmmakers. But... But really, that's it? That's the number one grossing film of this year so far? Well, it's the one that got the widest release. Exactly. You know, um, uh, so Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, 
that got pretty good reviews. People and the people I've talked to really like it, but they don't like it because it's a horror film. Because it's not a horror film; it's an art film. You okay. know, it's a Kickstarter art film, which is not to put down Kickstarter. I'm just saying it's a crowdfunded art film made by an Iranian woman in California, but shot it as an Iranian film. So it takes place in Iran in the original language. You know, it's, you know, it deals with vampires, but it's also black and white. It's, right. it's, it's, it's arty, you know, which is, I'm, that's not a knock against it. I'm just saying that. Not like, at all, because Nadja was also uh, an arty black and white um, vampire film, which is, you know, lovely. I don't know if you had the no, privilege I, of seeing oh, it. Seen, oh, I saw it because I remember the David Lynch cameo. Yep. Uh, but, but I'm just saying that arty... Just because it deals with vampires and it's arty does not mean it's a horror film. I think it's it's more than a horror film. You know, it's 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 not even trying to be scary. It's trying to just be like a coming of age film, which I guess you could say, okay, because it's dealing with dealing with horrific elements, it should be a horror film. But I, you know, to me, but, I, but what you're saying is is not the main genre, even though. That genre is represented in that film. It's not the main genre of that film. And it's a film that people who don't like horror films will seek out. There's a movie that comes to mind that's a Canadian film called Ginger Snaps that also deals with coming of age and, um, you know, uh, female issues. Um, But that movie is gory as fuck. And that's a fucking horror movie. Yes. That movie is fantastic. I, I, I love that film. And I just clipped my audio. My apologies for people at home. Um, let me adjust my mic once I get there. It is. Um, you can't see this at home, of course, because uh, this is audio only. But Cameron's holding up the – is that the DVD or Blu-ray? Is it DVD. The Canadian, this is the Canadian DVD, which at the time, America's uh, DVD had zero bonus features. And the Canadian DVD – had just a shit ton, which then now is on the Blu-ray from Screen Factory. I think the majority right, right, of right. the special features has made it over there. But this is the um, uh, Canadian Canadian release. And what's interesting is that in America, on the DVD, the tagline was "Hungry like the wolf." Dumb, so dumb. Like, why would anyone rent this movie? Because Whereas we're you- fans of Duran Duran. Yes, and and that's what I fucking would expect with a with a you know slogan like that or tagline. Fuck that. I think the movie will get this. Ginger Snaps, the Canadian release, the uh, uh, tagline is on the front cover. They don't call it the curse for nothing, right? (laughs) Which, if you know anything about the film, it makes perfect sense for them to say that. So. yeah, uh, Ginger Snaps is great. Uh, I don't know how you feel, and I don't want to get off, totally off topic, but about the two sequels that were made. Uh, but uh, the first film is, in my opinion, a real classic. And if you're fans of Mimi Rogers, uh, if you another horror film that she was in from 1991, even though it's not classified a horror film, it is a horror film. Michael Tolkien's The Rapture with David Duchovny. Wow. Um, I have not seen the third one. Um, I have seen the second one. Completely different film. Yeah. Completely different tone. And um, I think that's what's shocking to people is because this is so different. And it, it it is a great film in its own right. 
Um, it's probably not what people would expect for, for a sequel. It felt a little rushed. It did felt rushed, or it did feel rushed. But, um, but but at the same time, I I I liked it, and I thought it was great that they went, you know, somewhere completely different with it, rather than just make another rehash of the same thing, which is what happens with so many sequels, right? Um, but uh, before we get sidetracked. Um, you know, too far. It that is into, uh, a, into a ginger snaps retrospective, wh- which I would. T- you know what? We're gonna do that. Not right now, but we will do a ginger snap episode soon because that sounds absolutely amazing, and yeah, it's Emily a perfect Perkins excuse to watch the third well one. Our uh, hey man, if you can if you can get that going, let's do it. Make it happen. Um, but so. So then there's another film, um, The Babadook, which I feel is a, a fantastic film. Mark Kermode, the British critic, not only named it the best film of the year, but said it's the best horror film he has seen in years in the theater. I I can see that for, coming from him. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure for what my personal tastes are, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but I can totally see him say that. Absolutely. However, it does have sort of the same thing, though, right? It is, again, almost an ex. Well, it is an experimental film. It is a, a an art house film, almost, if you will. Um, but it's definitely, I would say of the ones at least that I've seen the best on this list. But again, it's a film that didn't get like a wide release. You know, it got a limited release that bounced around the country. And and it was simultaneously released VOD. It was VOD while it was in theaters. And it hit blue. And you know, another title on that uh, list is uh, it follows. And again, it's 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 a film that a lot of horror websites jumped on and waved the waved the flag and said you guys could check this out. But again, that didn't get okay. It played at independent theaters, not mall theaters. Now that is that's not again. When I say that, that doesn't mean that there's, that's a knock against the film. I'm just saying that there hasn't been a very good wide release mall theater horror film. Or big theater horror film in a while, they're usually going to the in, indie theaters, or they're going straight to VOD. There's there's not really much. What love what was for the, the last one, ones. or what were the last ones um, that come to mind that did do that? That were those, and it doesn't have to be accurate. It doesn't have to be um, technically the last one that actually was in a you know mainstream theater but what is the one that comes to mind okay well the one that immediately comes to mind if i think about it has to be okay i I think of i think of two um some people may disagree with one or both but i think prometheus and i think drag me to hell those are huge wide release films and is prometheus a horror film or is it a sci-fi film I would argue it's about as much as a horror film as Event Horizon. I think there are 
I think the scene of uh, Nomi Rapace in the in the machine trying to take out the face hugger out of her stomach is pretty uh, grueling. Sure. See, to me, that is pure science fiction with some horror in it, and it's great. Um, the abortion. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a jumpy horror film. Right? Although there are some jumps in it, yes. There, there are some jumps. I'm just saying that it is a film of genuine unease. It's very compelling. Uh, right. That's what I'm saying. It's it, it got a wide release. It's it's not necessarily a horror. Okay. Film, so right? my my hold on one second. <laughs> my my Siri thought I gave it a command. I, I <laughs> let me turn that shit off <laughs> right away. Um, pardon me, Cameron. Keep on going. I'm going to keep this in. I'm not even going to cut this out. No, I just I can see where you're coming from. It is a science fiction film, but yeah. I'm, but but it's not a science fiction film that's just like pure fantasy. There are horror elements to it, and I'm not saying it's a film that you are scared watching or something that's jumpy, but it is a film that is kind of queasy. It is uneasy, and and you may be confused at the end, but at the same time, I think that you are. It wasn't a rip roar and good sci fi fantasy at the movies. It was it was like, well, that was intriguing and interesting and a little creepy. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm coming from. Sure. Um, and then the other one is Drag Me to Hell. That's a while ago. It is a while ago, but I'm saying you just said what comes to my mind. Yeah, no, that's that's that perfect. Film is it? It's so loud. Mm-hmm. And I've only seen it the one time, even though I own it on Blu-ray. There's an alternate cut on there. It's just, I, you know, there's something about just how loud it was and how domineering it was. And it kind of felt like Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi was saying, you guys wrote me off after Spider-Man 3. Look, I can still do it in my sleep. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, in recent years, uh, Drag Me to Hell has kind of, in my mind, lowered in... in um, in originality and quality because so much of it was taken from uh, Jacques Turner's Curse of the Demon. But uh, I think just as a theater-going experience, I mean, that that I saw that double feature with The Hangover. Mm-hmm. And The Hangover was after. And my wife said, thank God The Hangover is after because it kind of took you back out of the, the, the jump scare quality of it, you know? Sure, sure, sure. So. Um... For for me, it would be, um, you know, other, other than Prometheus, if we're going to include sci-fi, but I'm going to try and keep it to to horror, uh, which Sorry. it's still it's Sorry. no 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 it's fine because it still can go in horror. The thing is though, if you compare it to Alien, um, then I would say, see, Alien is a horror film with a sci- science fiction setting, right? I, I agree, but I kind of took it as like because there are horror elements to yeah. it. No, and yeah, that's, that's fine. That's, so that's let's let's go with that. Fine. Let's go with okay. that. That's fine. But, um, but for for me, the the big ones that that I think that are really, you know, horror with with white releases would be the Saw movies. True. And True. and again, this is not necessarily that that's the most recent one. It's just the one that's most strongly comes to mind. Well, it's the only real series of the new millennium. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, there's Insidious and 
and there'll be the conjuring too and all that stuff but saw i mean one of the taglines for saw was especially as the sequels went on was if it's halloween it's got to be saw are there insidious action figures not yet there are saw action figures see it's not a real series until there are action figures here here's the thing though and and i heard this the other day and i I understand where this guy was coming from. He said uh, that Saw is a series that was pretty popular as it went on. Um, However, you can go into any thrift store, any pawn shop, and find the entire series on DVD. Like, those are films that just people have now, like, cleansed of their collection. They're everywhere. Yeah, but, but, but... I think a major reason for that is you can buy the whole box set with all of the Saw movies in there on Blu-ray for 15 bucks. Yes, but they're not all the correct versions. And you and I know that. Yes. But most people, they see that and they're like, hey, 15 bucks, all movies, Blu-ray, fucking fantastic. Seems like a great deal. And they sell off their old stuff. I bought that disc uh, set, and um, but I'm keeping all my old, you know, DVDs because I know there's going to be different things on there and different versions and blah blah blah. Um, well, part three, there are three cuts of part three. If anyone's curious to know about, there's yeah. the uh, the uh, R-rated cut, there's the unrated cut, which is the one that's on the Blu-ray, and then there's the director's unrated cut. Mm-hmm. And the director's unrated cut is close to two hours and twenty minutes long. And is the only version that people should have in their collection. That's why I don't have the Blu-ray because Part Three is the unrated cut, right. not the director's unrated cut. Right. Let me run um, a couple of titles by you and tell me, without overthinking it, you know, f- first thing that comes to mind in terms of what genre is this film? Jurassic World. Science fiction fantasy. Okay. The Avengers, Age of Ultron. Comic book, sci-fi, fantasy. Um, Comedy. (laughs) Mad Max Fury Road. That is science fiction, apocalyptic. uh, But I could understand how for some people... It could be horror. Terminator Genesis. Science fiction. Time travel subgenre. Okay. I'm going down more of these. Jupiter Ascending. That is science fiction. Uh, epic? Is it? Fantastic. F- you're overthinking it. Fantastic Sorry. Four. Comic book. Flop. Okay, but comic book is probably not a real genre in terms of, you know, classic genre, so. It now is. It's been considered. I, I agree, but. Okay, right. so sci-fi. Sci- sci-fi horror. Okay. Fantastic Four. Okay. And not just horror because of how bad it is, but horror because yeah. the director's intention was to make it more Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, the Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies. That is uh, fantasy, epic. Uh, yeah, fantasy. Okay. 
And let me see if I can find another one here. Uh, Ex Machina. I would say that is uh, science fiction. All right. So this particular website, thenumbers.com, with the hyphen in there somewhere, um, it's the first time I'm looking at this website, but it sort of indicates a problem that, you know, I, I think is part of what is the problem with uh, the current state of uh, genre films. All of those movies, except for one, it refers to as action films. And The Hobbit, it refers to as an adventure film, which I would call it a fantasy film. But, you know, who am I? I but can see how someone could call it that, though. I mean, it's adventure. Kind of I I like I I I agree with that a whole lot more than calling any of these other films an action film, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. Um, is it because well, there's a bad, you know, association with horror, science fiction? Just by calling it something else? Is it a euphemism, in other words, is what I'm wondering? Well, look at Silence of the Lambs. It's not a horror film. It's a it's a suspense thriller. It's a psychological thriller. No, it's not. It's, it is a full-on horror movie. It, it, it Thomas Harris made a... Like John Carpenter and Deborah Hill made a collection of most horrifying things he could think of. And then he weaved a story around all of those things. Yes, I understand. There are uh, suspenseful thriller, psychological thriller aspects to it, but psychological thrillers do not have people uh, wearing people's faces. Mm -hmm. Keeping women in basements. There are some people that will argue a horror film is only a horror film. If there's a supernatural element to it, right? Yet at the same time, even the most hardcore believers of that point of view would agree that Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is a horror film. It's a gothic horror film, right? And by extension, therefore, Silence of the Lambs must be a horror film also. Does that mean that Henry Portrait of Serial Killer is a character drama? Absolutely, cool. it is. <laughs> yes, but, but but it's also a horror film, not yeah. a horror film like oh my god, oh my god, I gotta hide and run. But it's like that is generally disturbing. The disturbing fact, um, the, or part of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, is that shit. The guy next to me in the movie theater could be just that. The guy living next door could be just that um it 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 brings the horror really really uncomfortably close to home and john mcnaughton the director when he was hired to make a film by the financers for a hundred thousand dollars back in shooting on vhs days um they said we would like a horror film john mcnaughton and his co-writer got together and said well, if we're going to make a horror film, we need to go to the root of the word and f come up with a story that is truly horrifying. Mm -hmm. And they did. And the distributors hated what they made and made sure that for four years the film did not see the light of day. 
until Martin Scorsese got a hold of it, gave John McNaughton a job to direct Mad Dog and Glory, and uh, based off uh, Scorsese's insistence of sh- having clandestine screenings for his friends, uh, filmmakers around Hollywood, the film ultimately got released. And you know, four years after the fact, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine if Henry Portrait of Serial Killer had come out in '86 instead of 1990. Maybe the landscape of horror films in the late '80s would have had a different, you know, feeling to it. Yeah. Um. Ab- absolutely. Um. It was. It's an interesting film, and it was a, a um a, a launch platform for you know the two main actors. Not so much for the female lead. She's great, though. She's great. She is absolutely great, and especially in that, she is fantastic. And I, I, I sort of like wonder why she hasn't done more than she has. I mean, that might be a personal choice. I don't know. Um, do I have his name right? Tom Towles, rest his soul, passed You're away right. not that long ago. Um, mm-hmm. Did phenomenal work after, and then. Um, but I would say Otis is perhaps his his best. Um, acting on film i heard that he was a hell of a stage actor but i i of all the performances i've seen him on film otis seems to be the most three-dimensional role that he's been given to play um i mean yes there's the night of the living dead that's just kind of a you know it's a role that has been inhabited before i would i would have to uh look at a list to to so just to make sure that I wouldn't and I'm not saying uh, across the board I'm saying of the performances I've seen of him on film you know just the ones yeah. that I know no 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 exactly which is why I, I would have to, to sort I of see totally a list about that but just for me I he he was just incredible in, in Henry yeah. Porter was your killer and uh, I think it's a film that him and Michael Rooker tried to live down for several years and only recently I think in the last 10 years they really like embraced it yeah. Um, so also, fuck IMDb because I'm I'm just cheating here right now. I'm going to Henry Porter's Serial Killer, and if you go to the IMDb page of that film, you'll see that. Oh, it's the it, that for some reason with this movie they decide to cast overview first build only rather than normally they do it by you know biggest star or most important. Uh, person, I don't know why they decided to go with uh, first build only because Tom Towles somewhere down there, you know, at the bottom, same as with Tracy Arnold. It's wow, crazy. And then the first person listed is uh, Mary Demas. Demas, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Is uh, you know, hooker number one, dead woman, dead oh, prostitute. They're going cast in order of appearance. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then it's Michael Rooker. Um, by the way, Michael Rooker, phenomenal actor, has definitely done a ton of really fantastic stuff after that. Um, you know, most recently, possibly um, in The Walking Dead. Maybe that's not most recently, but where he was really strong. Soon to be seen in Mallrats 2. <laughs> okay. It's a good news. Some good news right there. Um, but none of them as creepy. None of them as creepy as, as you know, Henry uh, Portrait of Shiro Killer. Well, the whole film revolved around him. But what I'm saying is that for four years, that movie did not see the light of day. Yet, the movie and his performance, he had 
scenes from it for his acting reel. Yeah. Right. That acting reel got him Mississippi Burning, fantastic. Got him Sea of Love with Al Pacino, great. You know, uh, a showcase role there. So he was using Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer to get jobs, mm-hmm. even though yeah, no one had seen the film. <laughs> yeah. No. But I mean. Thank God Alan Parker cast him in Mississippi Burning because he is incredible in that film. Everybody in that movie is incredible. Seeing him with Brad Dourif together is fantastic. I've always pronounced that name as Dourif. But that's you, just the way I say it. Oh, okay. So I was just I was I was just checking. Your audio dropped out for, for a second. Um so I don't know how his name is pronounced now, but that's one of my favorite actors. Um specifically Exorcist 3 Legion the guy's just an animal in it you know phenomenal and I mean that in, in a good way um but like, like we just put a film on Voodoo the other week of uh, Curse of Chucky that is a film that went straight to video and um you know, Brad Dourif, or Dorif, however you want to say it, he has a really good role in it I mean, obviously he plays Charles Lee Ray but he he gets a he gets a role an actual mm-hmm, role in mm-hmm, the movie mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you watch Curse of Chucky, whether you like it or don't like it, to me is irrelevant because that film has the production value of a theatrical horror film, and yet it went straight to you know video or yeah. DVD. Yeah. So even Chucky can't even get into theaters anymore. And now they're gonna yeah. reboot. They're gonna reboot uh, Nightmare on Elm Street again, but we haven't had a Friday the Thirteenth film in what. Uh, Seven years. No, but we're going to get the series. Woo! We are going to get the series. And I'm not sure if I'm looking forward to that or not. Um, Did you see what the creator said? That it's going to be a combination of Twin Peaks and True Detective. And I call bullshit on that. Yeah, about that. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, I... Yeah, but do you think the fans? Do you think the fans of Jason Voorhees, who is going to be a prominent person in or character in this series? I don't even think the fans want Twin Peaks meets True Detective for Friday the Thirteenth. You know? Uh, let me think about that. No. No. Exactly. No. It's too highbrow. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk more about the state of genre films. Um, so, I think so, it's in a horrible state. I know people would disagree with me, but I think it's terrible. I know I agree with you. I, mean, I agree Fangor- with you. I mean, Fangoria. You know, you look at the magazine. So, I mean, there's only so many retrospectives you can do because there's nothing new to talk about. Yep. Do you think the slasher film would still have a chance this day and age? Uh, you know, a good film is a good film, but. You know, I, I think horror is ready to go somewhere new. I mean, we had a whole decade or almost a decade and a half yeah. of slasher films. Um, I think it's time to go forward. Where is that? I don't know. I mean, for a period, we had the Japanese remake horror films. You know, then we had the found footage horror films. And, you know, it keeps going in these cycles. Then we had the remakes, um, which, for the most part, 99% were awful. So, you know, keep, people keep trying to find that new thing. What is going to be the that that new spark that gets yeah. people excited in horror films again? And, Here, and I don't know. I mean, to- here's the interesting thing. You know, a lot of 
what what you and I now refer to as classic horror films, the movies that we grew up with in the 70s and 80s, um, were low-budget films that had non-name actors in it. Would you agree with that? I would say 90% of the time you're correct. Okay. So earlier this year, I was at Con, the uh, film festival in the city with the same name. Um, show off. And no, I wasn't a show off there at all. I was a absolute, no, you know, I nobody. Meant, I meant sh- I meant show off on the podcast. Thing uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I only bring it up to illustrate a, an important point is I went around. Okay, so first of all, Khan is not a film festival, right? It's a convention for distributors and producers. That's it. And then there's a lot of media, um, you know, poo-poo and blah-blah around it. And that's fine. Uh, And that all resolves about the one presenters. But the core of it that the media doesn't show you, and you don't ever see that um, because most people don't care about it, is that it's a convention with convention booths and, you know, distributors and producers and blah-blah-blah. So... I shopped around with a ton of producers, uh, sorry, distributors, where I would find a booth that I felt would at least be open to genre films. And I would have a chat with them and ask them for their business card and blah, 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 and, and what they're looking for. And... um. And if they're open to independent film, low-budget film, super low-budget film, yada, yada, yada. And yes, they are, except for one thing. There needs to be a name actor in it. It's a requirement. They won't even talk to you otherwise. And as an independent filmmaker, you need a distributor. So you can theoretically make a film... A feature-length film for as little as twenty-five thousand up to two hundred thousand, right? And within that range, you're as far as SAG is concerned, the Screen Actors Guild, the Union for Actors, um, in the ultra-low budget phase, which means that you can have a different rate for your SAC actors and non-SAC actors than you would otherwise. So to make it more affordable. And it's the only way, um, it's not the only way, but it's their only preferred way to have SAC actors, you know, in a low-budget film. Um, and the next step up, we're just talking in the millions, I guess. <clears throat> but for even for $200,000, you can't, you know, put a, a big-name actor that they're looking for in there. So... You know, that right there is the problem. That is what kills ultra-low-budget films and low-budget films. And I think that's what the problem is with the current state of, of genre films. These horror films specifically, the classic ones, did not necessarily start off with a super high-end budget um, with name actors now, of course, there are examples where the opposite is absolutely true. If you take Rosemary's Baby, which is a horror film, um, 
it's not a cheap film. It's an expensive film. has an expensive cast, expensive director, all big names. Um, but immediately, of course, it's called something other than horror. You know, they'll they'll try and take that label off of it. But there are exceptions like that, of course. But if you look at John Carpenter's Halloween, um, three hundred thousand bucks. Of course, it has Donald Pleasance in it. But at that point, is he really, you know, a name that would pull in enough of an audience to really go see that film? Because no. we're generations past his. Um, you know, popularity at this point, we're at his peak. Although that's think, not true for me. I think he's a phenomenal actor, always has been, but uh, or was because he unfortunately is no more. But but you get my point. Um, well, I think here's a here's the thing. Well, you look at Friday. Talking- the, look at Friday the Thirteenth. Right. You know, uh, that movie was made for what? Less than. It's about Halloween. About, yeah, about. I think about six hundred thousand. I forget what the budget is, but it's you know, not not in the millions anyway. No. Anyway, you were about to say. I was going to say you were talking to distributors at an international film festival. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. So if you have a name actor in your film, right? It doesn't mean your film will be successful, but it means it will add your film, add credibility to your movie, right? Yeah. So. Well, you were talking into an international film festival. So if you made a low-budget film with no main or main stars or whatever in your film, you can still get distri- distribution in the States, but you're not going to get a lot of play overseas. But if you right. have an, a name person in the film in any way, shape, or form, you'll have more of a chance of making money in other countries than just America. I true. Think that's what but, they, I think that's what they were getting at. Uh, true, but these were also U.S.-based distributors. Okay. And it's just they their well, argument is, you know, we need to put in X amount of money um into advertising, uh, you know, making marketing material and and blah blah blah. Um whatever their distribution fee is and uh in order to make that money back they need to have a name actor so to sort of guarantee that you know it's going to have some sort of audience um so here's so, what i would and, do and and then and and then you you need to keep in mind if you're a truly low ultra low budget filmmaker um you you may get distribution you will not likely see a penny of any you know, money the distributor might make or not of that film. Yeah. So here's what I would do. I would factor into my budget uh, maybe about $5,000 so that you can go to every state and I would roadshow the movie. It's $300 to rent out a movie theater screen. You can grab uh, an 8 o'clock show, 10 o'clock show, whatever you want. And then you do it as like a fundraiser where it's ten dollars to get in. You can you get a poster, you get an autograph with the director, whoever's there, and I would roadshow the film and get and show that it was so popular that people would come to me and say, I want to distribute this. You don't go to them, they come to you. You create such a buzz about your film 
that they come to you. And then if it ends up going straight to Blu-ray or DVD or VOD, fine. But you control the distribution. I think in today's day and age, you can control your own distribution. But who does this anymore? You know, who does – what filmmakers do we have now, independent filmmakers that actually do the roadshow approach? Well, very few because the the ones that are working in the genre we're talking about, horror, there seems to be a collection of – and this, again, this is not a knock. I'm just saying there's a collection of a group of them that are friends, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Ty West is one of them, and there's a few others, but they all make these little independent horror films, right? Like the uh, uh, Innkeepers and uh, uh, House of the Devil, and they make all these movies that are like really low, you know, really low budget films. Um, and they kind of almost got like a, it almost seems like they have like a group distribution rate or something. Mm-hmm. It's like here, uh, every three months, one of our movies will come out, and it just kind of, you know, it's kinda, it reminds me of. Uh, uh, when Paramount, you know, Warner Brothers, uh, you know, b- bought uh, into Coppola and his Zoetrope and just said, hey, whatever you guys make, we'll distribute, um, you know. At the, but I just, there isn't a lot of independent filmmakers that, that have what they have. So a lot of films just go straight to Blu-ray, straight to the VOD. Um, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I would do. I would roadshow this thing because to me, um, not that I think that uh, if I made a film that I'd want it in the theater, honestly, I I, I really haven't. I mean, if it played, great. But if for me, I, I really have no aspirations if I made a film to play it in a theater unless I absolutely thought that that's the right place for it. I grew up on video. You know? So to me, I feel like if I just made a film and it went to VOD, I'd be happy with that because to me, I'd rather play in everybody's living rooms and scare the hell out of them, make them not want to go to bed than to, you know, go out for pizza afterwards. After, But uh, at the same time, know. earlier in the show, you, you know, you were, you were saying sort of like, okay, now you're saying that from, from a filmmaker point of view. That's personal. But, but from a customer point of view, you had a different opinion you know it's like no i'm just saying there aren't wide there aren't wide release horror films mm-hmm. i'm saying if i'm saying if i made something which if i made something it would be low budget i think low budget films for the most part are great at home if you're making a 20 million dollar horror film if you're making interview the vampire you want that to go to the theaters obviously mm-hmm. i'm just saying there aren't the studios aren't getting behind horror films like they did in the 70s with the exorcist and the shining and stuff like that when it wasn't you know um you know a terrible thing on your resume to say you made a horror film okay i i get that i get that i i think the other problem with the current state of those genre films and but this is not exclusive to this particular genre but it does seem that this genre suffers the most from it if it's if you can call it suffering you know aside from vod um is that a lot of it has moved to television and mostly into episodic television um where even you know the classics or quasi you know more recent classics um are are getting 
their own series. Uh, Friday the 13th is going to get yet another series. Um, Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Scream. Uh, the genre in general. There's Fear uh, the Walking Dead. Horror, yeah, and science fiction. You know, Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead. Um, for crying out loud, The Walking Dead is probably the best horror uh, in in recent years that leads that sorry that beats most of what's been released in theaters to a bloody pulp. I mean, certainly if we go to this list of um, most you know um, biggest box office successes in 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 2015, a lot of these, in my opinion, uh, The Walking Dead beats it to a bloody pulp. And yet, most horror films will say uh, The Walking Dead has destroyed horror conventions. The th- here's the catch-22. Horror conventions need The Walking Dead because nothing else is selling. They need that kind of draw to bring in crowds. Yeah. But horror fans are like, this is bullshit. The Walking Dead should have its own convention. Get this shit out of our horror conventions because it's staking up everything and not allowing other things to come in. So it's weird, right? You have the horror conventions mm-hmm. that need it. They need it for yep. business. But the horror fans are saying, like, I don't give a shit about seeing Norman Reedus for the 50th time. I want to <laughs> see Wes Craven, you know? So you have this weird thing where I think people like The Walking Dead, but people are unsure about what it's doing for the genre as sure. a whole. Sure. But The Walking Dead isn't the only successful series uh, in the genre that you know uh is on tv i mean i would argue even going back years and years and years and years i would say the original rod serling's twilight zone is horror that's creepy shit well it's pure science fiction to me absolutely pure science fiction but science fiction doesn't scare you no but it does make you think right and and twilight zone does just that I think it's a mixture then. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and 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 my favorite genre honestly is the crossover between the two. And 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 to me they go hand in hand perfectly. They're, that's why they're, the, that's why the thing is in your top 10. That's why the thing and alien, you know, and movies like that are are definitely um in in my top 10. Um but another TV show, you know, that's sort of recent that it's extremely successful, um Supernatural. Now going in, what, it's 11th season? Correct. Um, and I was sort of pissed off because there was going to be a convention in Milwaukee where they were going to have um, the guy who plays the King of Hell, um, Mark, what's his name? Oh, Pagliano or something? No, no, from... no, 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 no. Uh, well, he's from Lost. No, not him. Um, I know who you're thinking. He's also in that zombie film from many moons ago. Did he play Satan in Supernatural? Yeah, but I'm talking about the King of Hell. Not I'm not, not talking about uh, 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 Satan. Um, Big difference. Yeah, Mark Shepard. I can hit myself over the head right now for not knowing that. Uh, Mark Shepard has... Um, actually, he's a phenomenal actor, but... Uh, and you know he he's done a ton of stuff in the genre 
Um, he was in uh, uh, Firefly, for example. Who was he? Um, it, at least in the first episode. I'm not sure because it's been so long since I've seen Firefly. He's one of the um, the traitors. Uh, let me... Is he the one with the, that looks like the leprechaun? <laughs> the Scottish guy. Guy. He is Badger in um, yeah. uh, Firefly. Yep, that's who he is. Yeah. Um, he was in something called Evil Eyes. Not too evil eyes, though. Close enough. But, you know, he was also in Battlestar Galactica. Um, Roma Lapkin. And yes, I am cheating now. Of course. Warehouse, which I haven't seen, but I understand. Uh, Warehouse 13. I understand that's a popular show also, or was. I don't know if it's still around. Um, and uh, Supernatural, uh, where he plays Crowley. So... At, at any rate, science fiction and horror seems that it has moved to TV more than any other genre. It seems that the movie theater is allowed to have only action and comedy. And remakes. And remakes. Yeah. And remakes. And, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Why are the studios making one fucking remake after the other when so many people bitch and moan about them um, where they don't like them. What's going on there? Well, there's a couple things. Um, the people who are bitching and moaning about remakes are the first ones going. And they're making money. This all started when Platinum Dunes decided to remake the Texture Chainsaw Massacre back in 2002. It came out in 2003. And I remember at the time people going, what the hell? They're remaking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But that movie made so much money that all original horror, for the most part, was stopped. And I think almost every horror movie from the 70s and 80s that was even, you know... Uh, Kind of popular has been remade. Uh-huh. Uh huh. There's a there's a scene in Scream Four where um, what's her name? Uh, Pantier uh, from Heroes, um, and and they the killer says something about name a remake in the last decade, and she literally goes for like a minute naming every film, and it just blows your mind that every film from When a Stranger Calls to uh, you know, my bloody Valentine. I mean, I'm not even talking about the big ones, right? I mean, there's Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all that stuff. But Poltergeist has been remade. Uh, you know, April Fool's Day has been remade. Uh, you know, so many films. Like, really? That's That's been, yes, that's been remade too. I you can't even comprehend. They just remade everything hoping something would, a prom night. Um the fog. I mean, John Carpenter decided to spend the whole 2000s just selling the right, selling the you know rights to go make all all his old films again. Uh, you know, Halloween. You know, you name it. It's been remade. Um, I think that has almost come to a standstill be only because they've they've run out of things to remake. You know, I, yes. I mean, I'm shocked. One, I'm shocked that they have not made another Twilight Zone movie. 
mm-hmm. but I think maybe because of the bad connotations of what happened the last time, they don't want to step into that again. Um, you know, there hasn't, I mean, I'm not saying that they, they should be doing these, but like Tales from the Crypt, you know, they could have made another one of those. I mean, but they're not remake. They're not making those movies. They're no. they're going after brand titles, or they're going after films that people haven't seen or they think they've seen, but they recognize the title. Evil Dead. You know, we got we got that. Um, you know, it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, it to me it, it almost turned me off of the genre because of just because I mean the only original horror film. Okay, that came out at that time, and it bombed completely. Bombed was the Mist, mm-hmm. and it's not okay. I say original; it's an adaptation, but still, I mean it. It wasn't a remake, right? That was the first time that that book was adapted to film, okay. um, and and extremely well. I might you know add, um, I think people weren't ready for the. Uh, extremely down ending i mean that is depressing that ending is so depressing and and so filled and so with, much with dark dark irony it's so much better than what it's so much better in black and white i have not seen it black in black you know, and white are you serious i'm serious no, the the DVD, the two disc DVD and the Blu-ray come with the alternate black and white version. Oh, okay. I can just and, turn off the saturation the, on my TV too, but <laughs> you should no. see Cameron's face right now. Really? Okay, then I'll just I'll just do that with every every film, every colorized <laughs> film. I'll just turn it and the original <laughs> black and white. Exactly I think the way the DP wants it to be seen. Honestly, um, I think that's a yeah. Unfortunately, though, you know. The way people turn the knobs on on their TV set or projector, the DP has no say in, in how a film's going to look at home anymore. It was the idea with HD that 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 you know was going to be super accurate and all that, and to some degree with some sets that's true. But ah oh, man, you 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 visit people and you look at their TV and it's just absolutely horrible. Anyway, anyway, see the mist in black and white. It's the only way to see the movie. Okay. No, I'll 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 do that. Um give me one second here. I need to do something bad. All right, good. I made a little list here and it's a very short list. But it was just an exploring idea and and you know, I didn't want to like spend a week on making a giant list and really making this a scientific study. It's nothing of the sort. Um, but I made a list of remakes, uh, and it just has seven titles on it, but I excluded certain films. I exclude, excluded films that have been, you know, um, remade ad nauseum. Um, in other words, movies of which there are already like five or six remakes. Therefore, I wouldn't include a movie like Batman, for example, or Spider-Man, because like, really? Come on. Um... And I also did not include American remakes of foreign hits because um, that's just the practice. I don't even want to think about that. Um, and I also didn't include sequels, even if the sequel is 
often, you know, a rehash. It's not really a remake. So those I didn't include. Um, I included seven. Uh, no, actually, only six titles here. The first one I'm going to talk about uh, is RoboCop. And I'm going to give you the budget of the original film and then what the box office was at the time that I made this list a couple weeks back. Um, but I'm going to have you guess whether that is close to making it or, you know, not even close or surpassing it. Um, is so this the adjusted dollars? Well, it, there's no need to adjust it because this, the, these are all reasoned. Okay. The the remakes are reasoned. And then the original, I also have the same numbers, right? Uh and no, I did not adjust them. So they're not they're not factoring in uh inflation or deflation. So, the first one is RoboCop. The remake budget was uh according to um uh, IMDb Pro or Box Office Mojo, a hundred million dollars. Did that move? That's not even counting uh, marketing. No, marketing is not included in budgets. That's correct. So, did they? What do you think? Did they do well on that or not? No. No. That movie made almost fifty-nine million. So, just domestically, just domestically, just just domestically. Um, it's that, only U.S. box office, correct? That pretty much covered their marketing. Yeah, all right, exactly. Um, all right, Annie. Oh, let's first. Sorry, before we go to Annie, and I know this is not a genre film, but but bear with me here. This is just you know, for the concept of remakes, right? Cameron um, Diaz playing Miss Hannigan is a horror movie. Okay. <laughs> but but let's go back to Robocop for a second. The original budget was $13 million. Now, at the time, uh, which was 87, 13 million was quite a bit of money, right? Um, but it's still not 100 million. Uh, anyway, 13 million. What do you think that um, the box office did for that movie? Domestically? Yeah. Did it do well or not even close? I'm going to say 250. 250 what? Percent or? No, no, 250 million. No, no, no. Just, again, this U.S. box office only, it made uh, just over 53 million. That's it? That's it at the box office. Okay. So that was a science fiction film. Although. Okay. The powers that be will probably call it action. Anywho, Annie, the budget of the remake was set at $65 million. Did it break that or not? I mean, did it break even on that or not? It probably broke even. Okay. I would have guessed this movie would not have done as well as it did. It made uh, almost $86 million. I can see it. It's a family movie. Yep. Uh, and and it's a family movie with not a white cast. Now, the original one. So the, the 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 budget for the remake was sixty five million. The original and and it may not be the original, but the one of course I'm talking about is Carol Burnett and Tim Curry, right? Okay. So, what do you think the budget was for that? 
Like I said, the remake was sixty-five million. I'm gonna say twenty-three. Fifty million. Wow. Yeah, and and maybe I made an error in there. Somebody correct me if I did, but that's what I have here. Uh, in this list, $50 million for the well, 1982 version of Annie. How do you think it is an expensive looking movie, though? I mean, it, it is. is. It is expensive. It is. That, I mean, Daddy Warbucks House is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it has a hell of a cast, and, you know, um, and and it's done as a period piece. And it's done as a period piece really well. And even though it is still a comic strip adaptation, it treats <clears throat> excuse me that time in history very authentically, and I think it has to do with the fact that John Houston was there. Mm-hmm. Now, what did that do at the box office? <clears throat> that thing was a hit. I would say <clears throat> if RoboCop was 53, I guess I have to adjust my lower numbers because I keep thinking bigger numbers, but I'm going to say that movie probably made, what, 150 See, I, I I thought exactly the same way you do, but um, from what I've found out, and again, this is just U.S. box office, according to IMDb, and these numbers might be wrong. I remember IMDb didn't exist then, so where they get the numbers, they, it, this might all be wrong. Um, and so if an expert could come on the show and, and correct us and all this, that would be super. But anyway, the original box office was $57 million. It made just over $7 million compared to the budget, which just blows my mind. Well, but that movie has probably tripled since it came out because. Absolutely. And worldwide, I would say it, it did a whole lot better. Um, cause I remember actually seeing that film, you know, in, in the theater as a kid. And that was all you ever heard about. You know? And it was, it was, it was came out of time, 1982, where if you went to like Denny's or something like that, they they had the Annie glasses you could buy for a four ninety five. Oh wow! You know, you know that it was that Great Muppet Caper, I think E T. Like they all laid like, these signature glasses, yep. these collectible glasses, and God, I miss those days, man. The movies were events back then; they weren't just like every weekend another big summer blockbuster coming out. Now, is that because we were kids then? Is our perception different? Are we old no. farts now? Or has that really changed? No. It has changed because what do they do anymore for marketing like that? They do trailers. They show too many trailers, but they don't make cool stuff like that. I'm not talking about these little plastic things. I mean, McDonald's used to have the Happy Meals. They don't even really do that right. anymore. And even then, it's like cheapy crap. I mean, when I was a kid, you know what your Happy Meal came with? You got a VHS of Ghost, Wayne's World, or uh, I'm trying to think, another Paramount title. But, I mean, you had your choice of, like, five different Paramount VHS tapes. This was back in 93. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you'd be like, I want Wayne's World. And they would pull Wayne's World, the VHS, out from the behind the counter with my my barbecue sauce. And be like, here you go. (laughs) Wayne's World and barbecue sauce. Um, I'm, just saying that, I'm just saying that like movies aren't as big as they used to be, and I'm not talking about like budget wise. I'm talking about look at the summer, right? Every like f- Friday or Wednesday, or whatever, a new huge film would come out. Back then, f- huge films were few and far between. Mm-hmm. 
You know, when we're getting nine superhero movies in one year, it's it's too much. It's overkill. It's over, and that's exactly what my problem is with the superhero film. That's almost one a month. I don't dislike them, but I've just I dislike what they've become, in, and especially in quantity. Well, here's the other thing, real quick. Don't want to turn this into a big tirade, but the thing is, is that with the superhero and the comic book movies, the thing is, is that the websites are covering every aspect of, of the production of these films, right? From inception to casting, to plot descriptions, to filming, to post-production, to battles with the studio, to distribution, and ultimately into the Blu-ray review and then the retrospective. So we are getting like two or three years coverage on every single one of these movies. And I know why the websites are doing it because it's clickbait, right? And I don't mean that to be negative. I'm saying that's going to drive the traffic to your site and people are interested in it. You cannot do that for a horror film, a comedy. You can't chronicle the making of a comedy film. I mean, you could, but no one's going to click on your site. Right. You know, so so these comic movies, it'd be one thing if Iron Man 3 just came out and was like, oh, cool. Iron Man 3, I like it. I don't like it. Whatever. No, but I've heard about Iron Man 3 for two years straight. So it's while they're not the only movies being made, they are treated as if they are the only movies being made. And so the distribution, the, the marketing, they are meant to feel like, well, they're the only movies that truly count. Everything else is fodder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's my problem. Not the fact that they're being made. It's just that the industry and the websites seem to have a bee in their bonnet to make it feel like they're the only films being made and everything else is being dumped to VOD and Blu-ray. And, you know, we don't... It, it just makes us... While, while uh, more films than ever are being made because of technology, it feels like a smaller world film-wise than it did 20 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, so on with this list, Poltergeist, the first genre film. Uh, that's not true. We started out with science fiction. Anyway, um... The first horror in this list. The original budget was ten million, a little over ten million, almost eleven, right? Um, but it went on for um, a, a domestic box office of over seventy-six million dollars. Now the budget for the remake was thirty-five million dollars which is for a big studio remake that's modest, right? If we compare it to uh, RoboCop, which was $100 million. Um, and What would your guess be on how well that did at the box office? The remake? The remake, yeah. So $35 million to... Um, broke even. It made money. How much? Money? If we're not looking at the marketing, it made forty-seven and a half million dollars. It still bombed, though. It still bombed, but it did a whole lot better than I expected it would. Because I, I actually ended up going to see that thing, and it's just dreadful for all the wrong reasons. So you and there's other people I listen to online. You guys crack me up because. You guys go see everything because there's a possibility things may be good. Whereas I don't see anything until I hear from somebody or get a wind of that. It is good. Then I check it out because 
why would I, Poltergeist is one of my favorite films. I I don't want to go support a remake if it. I mean, you know, especially if it, it's complete crap. And, I I you know I'm gonna have to defend myself here. Uh, because honestly, that's not really the reason why I went to see it. I wasn't going to see it, but um, I go to the movies at least once a week with a friend of mine. Um, and that's just, you know, the the way we socialize because it's, it's still better than socializing on Facebook, you know. Um, we go to the movie, we meet a, a half hour early, so we chat and catch up um before we even get into the actual theater and then afterwards we talk about the film so this is great it's not just we go in and see the movie okay see you next week bye right we we engage um in the whole movie experience and this particular week there really wasn't much I was interested in seeing. And so rather than not go at all, which in retrospect would have been, you know, the better option, but, you know, hindsight, right? Um, we decided, okay, at least this is a genre film, so let's go see that. And, yeah, we totally regretted that. Totally regretted that. Um, but I knew it, there was a problem the moment they put the clown on the poster. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that before. Um, okay, so the next movie is a drama, according to IMDb, I guess. Dirty Dancing. Yeah, what's well, a musical? They don't sing, but they dance. Yep. Um, that was a huge So hit. the original budget was $6 million. It's actually more than I expected it would be. Why are you talking about this movie? This hasn't been remade. It there was a remake. You mean Dirty Dancing Havana Nights? Yeah, that's a sequel. Well, is it? I didn't see it, so I sort of assumed that I, I, I got the I, double disc Blu-ray, baby. Why? Because uh, I wanted Dirty why? Dancing on Blu-ray. And it just why? Came with the why? 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 Because Dirty Dancing is awesome, and I saw a double feature with La Bamba back in '87. No, uh, the original one is great. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes. I haven't seen the sequel. I saw like five minutes of it, and I said, "Eh," but at least it came with the Blu-ray, so that's what matters. <laughs> um, anyway, I I'm sorry that I made a mistake. I thought it was a a, a remake that I had zero interest in. Um, so I guess it was a sequel. Yeah, because Patrick Swayze comes back as Johnny. He does. Yeah, he's got a cameo. Oh, okay. Anyway, that flopped. The remake. Well, holy shit, of course it's going to flop. Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. I mean, you just hear that title and you say flop. Yeah. Yeah. All Sorry. right, next one, definitely a remake. Um, Conan the Barbarian. That's the original. And then um, we got the remake, Conan the Barbie Doll. Um, I hear you love this film, though. Which one? The remake. <laughs> I actually have never seen it. Oh, okay. Uh, but was the remake was directed by Marcus Nispel, uh-huh. who also made Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, he is that director. Uh, the original, of course, was uh, written by uh, Oliver Stone and then John Milius. 
uh, starring Schwarzenegger and distributed by Dino De Laurentiis. Gee, I wonder which one's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the original was made for twenty million, and the box office domestic was uh, thirty-seven and a half. And the remake was made for seventy million, so more than the domestic. Uh, almost twice as much as the domestic box office uh, was a budget for the remake, and the box office for the remake was just over twenty-one million dollars. That yeah, that movie bombed. It totally bombed. Um, and I watched a few minutes of it, and I just, I it did not grab me at all. What do Sorry. you think? I mean, this may be a little off topic, but what do you think of Oliver Stone's statement that? In retrospect, he really wished that Schwarzenegger would have come back every year, every two years, and done Conan like James Bond. And just, he he thinks that the series would have gotten better uh, if the series had continued. I mean, would you have liked to have seen more than two Conan films starring Schwarzenegger? Yeah, you just caught me off guard with this question. Um... I I don't know. Honestly, I I don't have an answer for you. I I I I would I part of me wants to say yes because that's what I want to be the case, but probably the realist in me says nah. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um No. I I, I don't I don't see that because With James Bond, you you can continue to um, incorporate the real world current events in it, right? Which is what they frequently do uh, with what whatever world issues are typically worked into a Bond film. Um. But you can't really do that with uh, um, something that's so deeply founded in fantasy and and almost period piece that it that becomes very difficult. Um, so just right off the bat, without really deeply thinking about it, for that reason, I'm going to say no. I don't. I don't think so. Still love you, Oliver Stone, but no, I don't think so. The last one on this list, and then we're going to talk about what this really means. Um, Total Recall. Original, $65 million. Box office of the original uh, in 1990 was close to $120 million. And then the budget for the remake in 2012 was $125 million. And the box office in 2012 was almost 59 million again it bombed well yes so it it seems that some films like oh i don't know um see the poltergeist movie yes it it made even on that on that budget but if you factor in marketing i don't think so i don't think it made it um what poltergeist poltergeist no, they had they spent at least thirty on marketing. Right. RoboCop didn't make it with or without marketing. 
Um, Annie, by going only $20 million over the budget, again, didn't make it because of marketing. Okay, we'll skip Dirty Dancing, my bad. Well, couldn't you argue that most of these also didn't do well because they weren't very good? That word of mouth also is like, this movie's not very good, don't go see it, and some mm-hmm. people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I only take issue with Total Recall because <laughs> um, I can understand why that movie didn't do well. You don't have Verhoeven and you don't have Schwarzenegger behind it, and you know, and people got all pissed off that oh they're not they're not going to Mars. Well, the original novella didn't go to Mars, so I you know, but that's audience perception. But uh, you know, and when you have uh, what's his name, Colin Farrell, and the director Len Wiseman, um, who was behind two of the Underworld films and Live Free and Die Hard, that that's not the same pull as Paul Verhoeven coming off RoboCop. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, arguably the biggest star of the 1980s mm-hmm. in Total Recall, you know? Yeah. So, but then again, big names don't equate box office anymore either. So let's say Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger did Total Recall today. would still wouldn't have made very much money because look at Escape Plan. Look at The Expendables. These movies don't make any money. Right. Even though I really did like Escape Plan. No, I'm not arguing about the quality of the film. I'm just and, saying um, name does not equate box office nope, anymore. Nope. So, and, yet distri- and yet distributors want a name to distribute your film. <laughs> so what my point is, even though this is, you know, I started out with the premise this is not a scientific study at all. It's just a random list uh, of a couple of films that were recent that, you know, popped up um, as remakes. So just a random grab of these and yet none of these really did well at the box office uh specifically when compared to the original that they were based on and so i i wonder why do studios keep doing this can't be money i mean unless unless there really are a ton of remakes out there that despite on how sucky they are uh still make a ton of money i but i don't see it and it's it's a shame because i have nothing against remakes again i have told this a million times you mentioned this movie earlier already the thing is a remake and it's one of my favorite films you're not against good remakes of course, that's just that's... like you're just like you're not against good films. But the, what I'm saying though is that this entire last decade has been plagued by terrible remakes. For the most so, part, absolutely. So, so while you may not be against remakes, can't you see how people could become against remakes by every single one of them in the last decade being terrible? I may have said I'm not against remakes, but I can tell you I'm sick and tired of them momentarily there's nothing i can do about that ringing so you just have to suck it up um i don't even know if that if that picks up at all or not you hear the phone ringing yeah Yeah. okay well sorry what i'm saying though is um i need to make the edit no i'm not okay they're they're gone already i'm not gonna edit this it's fine 
let's just real quick. Yeah. The the horror remakes that came out in the last decade. Okay. Can you give me three, three that you were that you thought were passable to decent? My bloody Valentine. That's one for me. You are experiencing a long silence. <laughs> yes. Um, none that come to mind except for that one. But you like the thing, the prequel. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yes, the prequel. But that's not a remake. No, but it... it, it, it... But it, it's kind of remaking a similar situation. Yeah, it's, it was yeah. it was very palatable. I enjoyed it. Um, unfortunately, that the rector has done nothing since. Um, I don't know if it's killed him for Hollywood. Um, you know, Alan Parker's career apparently died with uh, uh, the life of David Gale. Which is sad. Is that the name of the movie? Yes. Which I don't get why why people hate that movie so much. Have you seen it? Yes. I enjoyed the hell out of that one. I love it. And yet people hate and, it, and that's what killed his career. I don't and get it. And what's interesting is out of all the movies that he made, right, that's the one that um, – you know, is the one that killed his career. Um, looking over at some of the horror remakes, uh, please um, – Let's let's just go through this kind of quick. So there was Amityville Horror, right? 2005, yep. right? Didn't get very good. April Fool's Day, didn't very good. So, let me tell you something. The main actress tells me, I don't know what the hell happened. You know it's got problems. Um, I know there are more, but I'm just going through the big ones. Black Christmas didn't do well. Um, let's see. Carrie, no. Uh, Children of the Corn, no. Uh, here's one that you may think was good uh 2010's the crazies yes yes good call actually that one is great it's not even just good or palatable that one is a great remake and it it takes the same basic premise of the original but actually you know takes it in a somewhat different direction uh, really builds on it and, and expands it and and really is worth your time Great cast, um, you know, specifically uh, uh, Timothy Oliphant, mm-hmm. and just really well done. And it's directed by Brett Eisner, who is Michael Eisner's son, the ex-chairman of Disney. <laughs> there you go. I did not know um, that. Then we had Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, which people seem to really like. I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I wasn't against it. It just... I like the re- the original too much, so I wasn't uh, like my oh. Okay, then there was Fright Night in 2011. Uh, I wanted to like that. Then there was The Hitcher in 2007. I haven't seen it. Didn't the bother. Hills ha- the Hills Have Eyes, the 2006. Uh, I Spit on Your Grave was done a couple times. Last House on the Left, again, it's like, why the hell are we remaking Last House on the Left? Maniac got a remake. Uh, Mother's Day, which actually is not that bad. That would be in my maybe top three. Um, there was obviously Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Night of the Demons got a remake. Went basically straight to DVD, but it was remake. The Omen. Uh, you got. Oh, here's one that I thought was 
good because it was cheesy funny was piranha i liked piranha a lot um quarantine obviously that was wreck uh, sorority row we had the toolbox murder murders directed by toby hooper the town that dreaded sundown we had um yeah when a stranger calls we had willard and i guess if you want to incorporate the wolfman you had the wolfman but uh you know so the most part there weren't very good ones i mean there's a lot more i didn't name off but uh um you know like i said there's maybe like two or three that were good you know Mm -hmm. but i'd rather them a lot of those not be made than have all of those remakes staring at my face right now on the monitor so even the best ones i would trade up maybe not the crazies for you but you know so to sum it up the state of horror film basically horror film has been taken over by bat remakes and has largely moved um whether as original or remake or turned into a series to television is that about it or it's gone so underground that you can't find it anymore. It's buried in Netflix. It's buried on Vudu. You have to... It's like, okay, you used to be able to go to bookstores and walk around and look at books and read the back and go, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll buy that book and I'll buy that book. I'll buy that book. Nowadays, since most bookstores are closed and most video stores are closed, you have to know what you're looking for in order to find it. You know? And so you can't... I mean, yeah, you can search horror, but you're going to go through like 5,000 titles and I'm not going to watch 5,000 titles on Netflix to find one good movie. So it's just it's made it harder than ever to find something, even though more stuff than ever are being made. So from a productivity level, it's amazing. But from a consumer viewpoint, it's it was better when it was more streamlined because you knew you were getting more quality uh, than quantity. So in other words, you miss the tactile experience. Part of it. And... But at the same time, you can do searches to, for, for you know, things and, and with metadata. Um, but I agree it's not the same experience. And I don't know. Um, I, I think word of mouth isn't really what it used to be anymore either. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's too much of it. Yes. And, and it's fleeting. And it's fleeting. So you know? basically, the internet killed the genre film. In the internet theater. killed the genre <laughs> film. <laughs> but that's essentially, uh, arguably, what the state is of those genre films. Well, let me say just let me say one, two things. There are two great horror films coming to Blu-ray. In the next couple months, right now you can pre-order them on Amazon for $9.67. They come with the Blu-ray and the digital HD code. That is Jacob Slatter and Angel Heart. Order those. Yes, those are fantastic films, especially Angel Heart. I, that's one of my favorite films. Um, but I haven't pre-ordered it only because I keep waiting to make sure that it's not the truncated R-rated cut. Right, right, right. I have Angel Heart on Blu-ray already anyway. Um, Show off. And, okay, fine. Showing off again. Um, so 
This Go is ahead. your host. No, I'm just saying your your nickname on here should be Louis Cipher. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I could, you know, dye my nails black and all that, but uh, and look like Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. My eyebrows aren't. Uh... No, but that's what he. That's what he did. The look, Robert <laughs> Nero's look, is Martin Scorsese. <laughs> um. Okay, enough on this topic. We're going to probably wrap it up. We're going to talk a little bit about, um, whatchamacallit, uh, movies that are about to hit the theaters. And at this point, that is uh, Sinister 2. is the only horror film at this moment that I'm looking forward to that is going to be in a theater. And you know what? That was a great film. That was in the theaters. That was in, you know... Uh, with a white release and we we also forgot some movies like The Conjuring that was fucking fantastic and that was widely um, distributed um, just so you know the director of Sinister has not gone on to make the sequel he has instead gone to Marvel to direct Doctor Strange yes I, I know you told me this before um, and I don't know you what to expect of Sinister 2, but I am looking forward to it. Um, I was well, um, force-fed the trailer a couple of times while going to the movie theater, and what I've seen of it so far, you know, was appealing. Haven't read any reviews yet, because usually I only do that um, after. Why would you read a review of Sinister 2? You know what they're going to say. What do you think they're going to say? The movie's shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah probably uh i don't even think a lot of those reviewers even go see the movies they probably look at their first review and just dumb it down yeah you know what you got a good point that's probably what happens or at least it feels like that's what happens right um anyway so yeah and um but that but that's the only uh film that i can think of that and i will see that next week um even though it comes out in theaters this week, at the time of this recording, next episode maybe we'll talk about it. Um, and if it's any good, that'll make you go see it also. Then to close off, if you have any specific movie that you want us to review, let us know. Send an email to info at twoevileyes.com. Mind you, in that email address, podcast is not part of it. It's just info at twoevileyes.com. If you have specific movies on Blu-ray that you want us to review, send us your voodoo codes, or your UV codes, rather. Do not post them on Twitter, because then somebody else will snatch them. If you don't use your UV code and you want us to review it, we will mention your name, unless you specifically state you don't want that. Um, but yes, send us your UV code to info at twoevileyes.com and we will um, put that UV code to good use and we will review your film. That's it. Until the next... Go ahead. Uh, do you want to say I was something? Just gonna, I was going to say one more thing. So, Scream Factory. We all know about Scream Factory and uh, they release these Blu-rays and some are great and some of them i think sometimes i think they overrush a lot um and they they put out maybe too much content uh over a year and then their special features dry up uh -huh. that being said i'm kind of nervous right now 
is that they put out a statement saying that they were going to release a Blu-ray of a really fun, crazy horror film from the 1980s called Jack's Back with James Spader. And it's a, it's a modern-day Jack the Ripper tale. Well, I had it in my Amazon cart for the Blu-ray. Well, in the last 24 hours, it has been changed to a DVD release, and the Blu-ray is not to be ordered anymore. So... Did Scream Factory just cancel their Blu-ray version of the film and just made it a DVD version? This will be upsetting. And this is a a horrible trend that I'm seeing starting at like Target where they're pretty much ditching most of their Blu-rays for DVD new releases. What's the name of this movie again? Jack's Back? Jack's Back, yes. And so basically you ordered it no, I put it in my Amazon cart as ah, the Blu-ray. As ah, the Blu-ray. As the Blu-ray. And, yes, and it's now a DVD release. And I went to see what happened, and Screen Factory is no longer uh, allowing you to order a Blu-ray version of that release. So, is it possible they're simply sold out for the number of prints that they ordered for that film? No, come on. I mean, I, the, I don't they, know. They have, Blu- they have Blu-ray releases for. You know, all their little films and no one, you know, th- people are able to get their copies. Yeah. I sort of, you know, stopped following them a little bit when we had the whole Nightbreed night <laughs> fiasco with them. I was among one of the first people to order it. And then, I, you know, it was so much cheaper on Amazon. The only difference at that point was uh, you didn't get the poster from ordering on on Amazon. So I canceled my early order. So big fucking deal uh, that I don't have a lower number now. I, st- I still have it within the first, whatever that first number of prints was. And maybe um, you can, maybe you can uh, use this for a, a separate little quick thing, but um, I never actually talked to you about what you thought of the Nightbreed uh, Blu-ray set and the new version of Nightbreed. What was your take on it? Oh, that's been a while now. Um, Just your gut reaction. My gut reaction that it was built up so much that it was a little disappointing. Mm. And, you know, it didn't really feel like a drastically different film necessarily. And it's, it's almost like a, I like the original theatrical cut better. Well, uh, you got you got that version, yeah. Both. Right, right. But but I said almost. I just I don't know, and it might be because that's the version that you know I saw in the theater, um, and that I've seen on DVD for all these years. So that's the movie that I know. And then it's like I don't know. Um, it's not. Again, it didn't feel like like it's super drastically different, but it was really nice to see the film um, in a really clean, high definition release. That I really liked about it a great deal, and I'm glad to have both films um, on on Blu-ray in in the box set, and that's all perfect. Um, and it was just also a little, you know, like what two seconds after. It, that collector's disc was released it was put on uh, Netflix already and it took like two seconds so that was a little bit oh yeah there's didn't my... that 
you know what? That actually kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and then, uh, Lore of Illusions was released also on Blu-ray. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I have ordered it. Um, I might be looking forward to that one even more. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but, um, we'll see. But yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad that, you know, Scream, they should strike up a deal with UV so that you can put their movies on streaming also. Uh, and, and they don't No, but two seconds later, they put it on Netflix, but only certain ones. Like I can't see body bags on Netflix. No. So, you know, there's certain ones, but what I think they should do (laughs) is if they're going to put this kind of crap on uh, Netflix, then I would like to see Voodoo. I would like to see Netflix get a hold of their bonus features. So if I want to watch the making of Day of the Dead, it's on Netflix or it's mm-hmm. on Voodoo and I can watch it separately. I would like to see something like that, you know, so that maybe if you don't want to buy, maybe you have the movie on Blu-ray, but you don't want to buy the Blu-ray, but you don't mind paying, you know, five dollars for the hour-long conversation with clive barker you know what i mean just sure. like yeah give, give us the option of just buying the bonus features yeah um no yeah, absolutely specifically since on netflix and i'm talking about snail mail netflix not streaming netflix there's this trend with bigger movies or it's not a trend it's sort of been a thing for a while now um where the special features have been stripped off from the discs that you get from Netflix. So the menu has the special features, but if you click on it, it will say, buy this disc, fucker. And um, and you don't get those features on uh, on Netflix. So that tells me that the studios definitely think that there's a market for the special features. Um and and they don't want you to have that on Netflix because they obviously think if they if they go out of their way to make a whole different printing of that film without the special features but still leave the menu intact for it, um, they assume that there's a market for people that are interested in the special features. And I agree, they're probably that market is definitely there, which is why it blows my mind when you see releases um, of major films that are just severely anemic in in special features. You know, excuse me, but a trailer of a film is not a fucking special feature. That's a fucking trailer that I can download online, um, right? It's and, and it should. And I, what I'm noticing is Universal on their Blu-rays are cutting out the trailers when they were used to be included on the DVD releases. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think every release of a Blu-ray should treat it like this is the Criterion version of this movie. Perfect picture, perfect sound, perfect special features. They should treat like every release like there is going to be no other release. Not this is the release today because next year you're going to get the bonus edition. And the next year you're going to get the deluxe edition. And then you're going to get the 10-year anniversary. Now, for some smaller distributors that, you know, or do their own printing or or whatever of of these films um i get it 
there may not be a budget to actually go hunt down actors, directors, um, and all that to do interviews with and then edit that and then put that on the disc also. Um, because the cost that that would, you know, put on them, they may not get that back from the sales because the extra sales they would get from it, you know, may not be worth it. Um, but at the same time, Scream, you know, sometimes they do a fantastic job and, and they just, you know, they they set the, the, the example of how it should be done. And then others, there's like nothing there. And you're like, wait a second, what, is this Scream? Is this a Scream lease? What the fuck's going on here? Is this shit? Um... So the, well, I think I think for those it's primarily because, you know, when they were only doing like six releases a year, every one of those releases were like a bang up job. But now that they're doing like five every month, I think that they uh, d- don't have the manpower to do full on special editions for every release. Yeah, exactly. And, and then when I find out they're releasing Army of Darkness, I'm like, we've already had fifty releases of Army of Darkness. Why do I need this one? Yep. And then you have a film like, you know, Gone Girl, major studio film directed by David Fincher. And the only special feature is the audio commentary. And then, okay, if you buy the Blu-ray, the amazing fucking Amy (laughs) book, kids book. Um, Yeah. Which, by the way, which, by the way, Gone Girl is now like $9.99 at Best Buy. Yes. So I mean the turnaround rate, you like like you go, oh, I gotta get this movie, and then like two months later it's like nine ninety nine, yeah, or buy, or buy buy three for ten bucks yeah, or something. Exactly. So, you know, I I mean, yeah, the director commentary is great, and specifically for that film, absolutely it's fantastic. But for that being the only special feature, that's right. severely anemic. That you know wow it's like okay whatever mm-hmm. yeah um, it's like hold on to it because you'll be trading it up for another version soon enough yeah i i want to have i mean come on it's a dvd you, a blu-ray you you barely use the amount of space that's on those fuckers um you you can you know put an audio commentary by the director of photography in there and not have the director involved so that this guy or woman can just really be free to do the, their uh, commentary. Maybe even the author of, of the book that, you know, um, cause after all, David Fincher bitches about her <laughs> on his track. I want to hear her <laughs> do the same thing. That would be amazing. I would love that. Um, some of the actors that'd be great also and then for actors it would be fun actually to have them in the same room and do the commentary at the same time right um you know but yes the david fincher commentary and his commentaries in general are phenomenal they're really great there's a lot of director commentaries that are just absolute bullshit where they go in and they they bring in an actor and they start to sort of reminisce and suddenly it all becomes insider stuff that you are are not part of you feel like you're you know uh, a fly in a wall um and then there are these long uncomfortable silences mm-hmm. i don't even listen to audio commentaries anymore 
Oh, I do. It used to be the first thing I would always listen to. But that was back when it was like a special thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And now every movie has an audio commentary. And I'm sorry, not every film, uh, you know, is, is, is has a backstory that's worth listening to. Audio commentaries used to be for movies that like had really interesting production history <laughs> details, you know? Yeah. Uh, not just the ins and outs of every low-budget film. I, you know, it's just... And it's just basically people patting themselves on the back the whole time. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. All right. I think we should wrap it up. Again, a reminder, info at twoevileyes.com. Send us your UV codes. Do it now. Thank you for listening.